All right, beautiful humans, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Naked Sunday. I'm your host, Caleb Nelson, here with my dear friend, Jason Ackerman, and I am quickly, quickly embracing the notion of Naked Sunday. I'm wearing less clothes each episode. There is no shirt on today. I don't know if Jay is wearing pants. Maybe you're wearing pants. I don't know. Maybe people are not wearing pants at home. And hopefully they're not, because let's just let's get all into it. But, the only, uh, for the record, the only reason I throw a shirt on these days is because most of the time Rocky's on my lap, and it just gets hair all over me. So I throw a shirt on, and then I can always take it off and change it. I prefer to be I prefer to be naked like you. I think we go with robes soon, and that very like Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> just like- satin or like Lebowski, like an old beat up one. Just let it all breathe, you know? It's all about being free. Uh, today, we're continuing. If you guys haven't picked up a little bit on this, we're, we're really definitely into this theme of forgiveness in this initial uh, wave, this initial season, um, because there's a lot to uncover when it comes to forgiving. It's not just a matter of like the one act of saying, I'm sorry, or letting go. There's a lot that goes into it, especially if you're wanting to you know, get beyond just that moment and you're wanting to, you're going to have to explore a lot of like, how did you even get there in the first place? Um, because ultimately when you forgive, you're wanting to move forward and you hopefully can move forward without repeating the same flaws of the past, right? Whether it's with that same person or with other relationships, other people in your life. Um, so today we were talking before we got on here about scarcity and, you know, both of us having been business owners of, of physical gyms at this point, we both have uh, have dealt with you know growing businesses and and dealing with the trials and tribulations that come with it and other businesses coming up from that, um, especially community based businesses where uh, there's a lot of touch points and a lot of hands on work with people where you know with personal relationships a lot of stuff starts to overlap and things get really really interesting. So first, I would love to hear from you, Jay. Like, where did you struggle? One as just like the, your first go around with ACF, like what Albany CrossFit for those of us who don't know what ACF is. Um, so if I ever use the shorthand, that's what we're, we're referring to. Um, when did you find that you had the biggest difficulties with what we will discuss in, in, in at length, the scarcity mindset? Easily very early on when specifically when the first coach Jess was leaving to open her own box. And that was kind of like the final moments there. But even just, I think as CrossFit was growing as a, as a worldwide phenomenon, not just locally, I anticipated more boxes were going to be opening. And, and there were a couple, right? There were a couple that kind of popped up in the area that weren't from us at, at the time. And it was like this, underlying stress in my life like when is this thing going to explode or implode and and when are all these boxes going to open and when am I going to lose everybody so it was like poison it was like giving yourself a little drip of poison every day even though nothing was happening even though everything would turn out fine if not better but it was just like this idea of okay when's it going to happen and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting so you felt like there's almost like a ticking time bomb in your head at all times yeah, I really did. I really just kind of felt like, okay, like, and you're like, it's hard to explain. You're the people that you knew weren't going to do or open a box you had one relationship with and the people that you were fearful of, you almost had another kind of relationship with, like you weren't giving them everything. So that's where you, as you look back, hindsight 2020, you started to see kind of two sides of Jay open up with this. A little bit. Now that I think about it, I don't think I've really ever thought about that before, but like the way I treated you, I was like, okay, if Caleb opens a box, it's going to be together. Like I'm not worried about him versus, uh, you know, whether it was Jess or in the future, a handful of other coaches that came on and you're like, all right, I want to, I got to give them enough to be a good coach here, but I don't want to give them, you know, the secret sauce. What? And I think this leads to a really interesting reflection for everybody because I know where I went with this at a certain point. I actually, again, I'm, I'm just genuinely curious about what came into your mind at these moments, but what did you feel that you were missing 
so much so that you would feel that somebody else would necessarily be a threat to that. Like, I don't know where the, where the, you know, scarcity mindset comes from. Do you, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, I think I know. Go ahead. I'm listening to you, man. No, I don't. I, I was going to say, I, I was going to just probably repeat that. Like, I don't, I don't know. The only thing I was going to add to it is it probably comes a little bit from your, your development and your background, like just your, the way you were raised. I mean, I don't think I was raised with a scarcity mindset. Like I don't remember my parents being like, Oh, Johnny did well. So you're going to do bad. But I think there's, there's probably a little bit inside of every entrepreneur where it's like, okay, there's a limited number of resources, which, you know, now in retrospect, we know it's not true, which is how we tie it into, you know, forgiveness because I need to be forgiven to the people that I harmed, which I have been. And I also forgive the people that didn't do it right. Cause there's a right way and a wrong way to go about this. But, you know, I think when, when, you, especially for me, when I, when I opened the box, it was like the first time in my life that I was successful financially. So I think that was part of it. Like, okay, I, I need to do everything I can to stay here. And everyone else is trying to, you know, and I remember saying things like that, like you're trying to take food off my table. And it's like, no, they're not. They're not trying to harm you. They're, they're trying to help themselves, which isn't necessarily, you know, that's the whole idea. Like just because they're trying to help themselves doesn't mean it's purposely harming you. That's great insight right there. Um, I like, I definitely lean heavy into the, I think of the background, right? And I think about where I've been. I actually just had a conversation with about this over while getting my hair cut this morning about um, how I learned a lot from our experiences of watching how you felt. And, and, you know, I felt very empathetic. I felt very responsible. I have a, just this very deep sense of loyalty to people um, from my own issues as like, like upbringing and things like that. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this with a lot of your clients that you've worked with in the past, but for me, I've seen a lot of people. It's like, it seems to be this constant window of like 10 to 18 in their life where something pretty dramatic or traumatic has happened to them. And they're still like harboring all these things in their life in one way, shape or another, whether they've witnessed something or they, uh, something happened to them or they did something to somebody else. Um, and whether it's guilt or it's, I'm not good enough or name your thing. I always find that to be really, really fascinating. I mean, I think about it from my own stuff. It's, that's very much a uh, kind of perseverating, perseverating kind of theme within my life of where I, I look to overcome some of those things. Um, Wait, can we take a moment to talk about how jacked your traps are with that shirt off? Look at that. Like lumps. Did you get stung by bees up there? You know, just it's these shoulder, <laughs> shoulder pads I strapped on before I, uh, <laughs> before I came on. <laughs> it's all the extra shrugs before cla before the, the, the filming of these things. Because uh, you get light dumbbells, you're pumping up before the podcast? You know, I just want to make sure I can uh, wear my shoulder, my traps like shoulder blade, like, uh, like earmuffs. Then I can, uh, you know. <laughs> extra attention in my jaw, my, my neck, um, <laughs> from all my days of cleans way back when. Um, but, uh, I think you brought up something really interesting, especially if you ever were in a place where you just didn't have money if you were broke, right? Like I remember in your, your book, you talked a lot about, um, and that was actually for me as I started to relive and I started to think back as we were re you know, patching up our relationship again, reading through that passage, I was like, oh, he never opened up about that specific thing, you know, in, at, at the depth that you did within the book. But when you were living downtown Albany, was that your car got broken into? And it's like, when you're at those moments when you're just like, shit, I got, I don't feel like I have anything else. And you have like nothing to your name. And then all of a sudden you get a little taste of having some sense of stability. You never want to go backwards. Right. So, um, I think a lot of people who've come out of that survivor mentality, like I overcame it, there's, there's this inherent fear of like, I'm going to go back at some point and any perceived threat to that in any way, shape or form is like, it's sacrilege. And, it, and we can kind of like push a lot of just other emotional things aside with and like, just like justify anything almost to what, what we're going to do in those relationships. I don't know if you felt that way. Uh, oh, no, I think, you know, 
maybe that's really what it was now that I think back about your initial question. It was, you know, I came from, you know, raised in Jewish, you know, faith. My grandparents, you know, lived through the Great Depression. And I know my grandmother on my mom's side um, was very much of the scarcity mindset, you know, and I wouldn't have known it as a kid. And she passed away when I was probably about, you know, early 20s, you know, so I was still developing. I hadn't read, you know, Stephen Covey. I didn't know what, what it was, but I don't think she meant it in a negative way. It was just like, you know, we're, we're trying to survive. You know, we left, you know, Nazi Germany and we're, we're happy to be alive. And, you know, they, they wound up being, being able to live uh, a, a pretty nice lifestyle in their like 60s and 70s. But, you know, when they were our age, it was probably struggling. And then they had, you know, my mom and my aunt. So there was definitely that. And then, like you said, you know, really everything for me when it comes to scarcity is typically always comes back to money. Even to this day, you know, 2020, I'm always like, you know, am I going to be on the streets? Like, I'm still f fearful of that. It's a really weird feeling knowing like you've got plenty saved up. Like, I know at this point I can always create something. I mean, we've created this out of nothing, right? And, you know, obviously it's not making money or anything, but it's a matter of if we really put effort into it, we, we would create something. So I think in time you learn that, you know, when I sell the gym and go on and realize, okay, it's been six, seven years now, I'm, I'm not homeless, right? I'm, I'm still, I have a new house. So, but it's always there. I think that's something that's just very hard to shake. Like that was a, really formative time in my life, like from 22 to, you know, really like 25, 26, even though I eventually bought a house, you know, you, you were at my old house in Albany. It wasn't like anything. It looked nice. Sure. But it wasn't a fancy house. And, you know, I, I, even then it was like, I pumped every dollar I could to paying off my bills of paying off my mortgage. Um, you know, and it was just always like, okay, is somebody going to come along and take this? Like I went from barely like, literally barely surviving in the moments where my, I was living downtown Albany to a few years of like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm making money. I have consistent clients. I pay my bills. Like I couldn't do anything extravagant. I was still driving an old car. And then, you know, then when the gym opens and I'm like, okay, now I'm actually thriving. We can go out to eat. We can, you know, go on vacations. Like you and I would go, we went to New York city a handful of times. Like, do fun things. You're like, I never want to go back there. It's like, remember, it's like in Rocky four and Rocky five where he gets, you know, and I think, I mean, I thought to be fair, like I've thought about that. Like, it was like, man, Rocky went back to having nothing. Like it could happen, even though, you know, it's a fictional character. I mean, we, Hollywood is always just really, you know, telling us the stories in, in a way that's entertaining enough for us to actually absorb the information. Right. And of course he bounces back in Rocky Balboa, you know, opens a restaurant, no different than us. Like it's like, you can always, and I think that's what's allowed me to move forward from that scarcity mindset. I think knowing, you know, it's partly that stoic mindset as well, where it's like, you're in control of you and no one else doing good or bad impacts that. And in fact, other people doing well, you know, you and I were talking about the secret prior to this, you know, and it's really just like what you look for in this world. Absolutely. I think it also brings about some, and I've talked about this with Ian, um, because especially you start to over, you look at overarching concepts when you're coaching somebody through, we'll call it a weight loss intervention, right? Where they're learning how to exercise, something like that. There's so many corresponding themes in your life, right? Because they're overarching values. Um, and one of the things that really came to light for me was identifying, you know, uh, a survival mentality versus a thrival mentality. And I think those are two sides of the equation. I think that there's nothing wrong with a scarcity mindset for a certain, like there, it's there for a reason, right? We evolved, we evolved, right? It's still there. It's part of it. It's like it served a purpose. And I think when you are in survival mode, right, you have to learn how to just like get by. And I think a lot of times we get when we get comfortable, right, we just stop doing the, the basic things, right? Like ego gets in the way and we think like we're going to get rejected or things like that. But when there is truly very few resources, you go into survival mode and you get, you could start to like cast these other projections off to the side and you're able to actually get, get out of your own way. Right. And I think about 
for myself when I went through my own financial crises um, and through the ups and downs through it because I've had plenty of it. Um, I actually found that ironically it became one of the most liberating moments of my life because it became purely about just like the cause. Like, can you just do the right thing? Like, do you just show up and you just do the work? Um, but I agree with you. Once you shift into a new place where you actually do have resources, I think you start to realize that it now becomes a new strategy, right? Like there's a difference between like a wartime general and the peacetime general. You need to, and not many people I think can actually cross the bridge over into that peacetime uh, situation because we're so used. It's like, we're so hardwired and especially going to be like really good in, in like a traumatic situation, right? Like they're used, there's, used to having chaos and like crazy shit going on around them, but it becomes very difficult when things are like going well to not want to blow the system up. And I, I know I did the same thing when things were like finally going steady, I would just walk into the business and just like cause fucking problems. And it was all the time. All it's the true. And I mean, you know, not for nothing. I remember playing a certain, you know, role of tempering some similar behaviors with, man on the other end of the screen but like it was <laughs> well i think if you know you get you're right like and whether it's an entrepreneur or not i think for a lot of people in their in their everyday life it's like things are going so well let me do something to sabotage that and actually as you were saying all of that though i want to say i think something else that really reinforced that scarcity mindset for me was during that time of living downtown i was also you know personal trainer and group aerobic instructor where it wasn't like, hey, so-and-so got this spin class, I can get one too. It's like, now I don't get that. So-and-so picked up this new client, now I don't get that. You know, people would walk in, I want a trainer, and it was like a swarm of, you know, hawks trying to figure out who got the client. So I think that didn't help. Now, of course, with that being said, no one was training me to realize there's also 100 other people in this Gold's Gym working out who need your expertise. It was like, okay, well, if we're only fighting over the people that come in and very clearly declare, I want a trainer, then it is a scarcity mindset. You know, only one person can get them. And, you know, I remember when I first went over to the core club from Gold's Gym, it was because of that. Like the women that were teaching aerobics along, I was the only male instructor and it was very, it was like a cat fight every day. It was just scarcity, scarcity. And I couldn't deal with it anymore. Like I just, it wasn't fun for me to be around that. Well, eventually it's exhausting because people are mostly in a negative mindset and I'm sure you've seen it. Things start to become very cutthroat and values and loyalty and things like that start to seem to not matter anymore, which, you know, again, that's starting to ask yourself, what stage are you in? Are you in survival mode or are you in thrival mode? And if you have a roof over your head and you have food in your belly on the day to day, it could be argued you're, 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 you're thriving. There's, there's a lot of people on this planet. Once you realize like, shit, there's people who are really legitimately don't know where their next meal is coming from. You probably got it. Okay. Like from the, from a meeting your basic needs in, in this world. Um, I think you also speak to something there where people ultimately, uh, you said it what was at gold's gym. You said that they're, until you learn that there's plenty of other people in other places that needed help and you just need to hone a different uh, skill set to actually realize like they, they would have wanted your help if you just asked them the right way, as opposed to waiting for somebody to just like, I'm always going to wait for somebody to just come in and hand me the, the solution that, you know, obviously we clearly try to problems and go find ways to go solve the problem, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I know one thing I did back then was, okay, I did two, I mean, I'm sure I did a few things, but two things that I can think about was I said, okay, I'm going to go teach at other places in addition to Gold's Gym, which no one else was doing at the time. It was like, this is where I teach, but I went to Gold's, uh, the core club, obviously. I was teaching at the Wise in town. I was teaching for like the town of Bethlehem, like their evening classes for adults. So I was doing more, more things, which of course then opened up more opportunity. And then I also, at Gold's itself, created new classes that, you know, I, I was doing a plyometrics class before, you know, it's basically a softer version of CrossFit back then. Um, so, you know, there, even, even though it was a scarcity mindset, I didn't realize I was doing things to, to create more opportunity. 
Right. I think you're also speaking to something like most people get caught up in being the big fish in a little pond and realizing the pond is much, much, much bigger than we actually think it is, right? There's 8 billion people on the planet. There's more than enough money to go around. There's more than enough humans to go around. And especially if you're in something like the weight loss and fitness space, I mean, it's probably one of the biggest epidemics of our time, you know, like that, that's a, it's clearly part of the problem. Um, there's, there's not a loss of, there's not a, it's hard to find people that don't need help with their weight loss journey. Good. So, and I think that's what you and I eventually came to the conclusion of in, at the gym. But it took us, you know, I think in, in fairness, it took us seeing one or two boxes open and not destroy the business. And we were like, okay, this, can, this is okay. Like this, the business will still survive. And in fact, you know, it was around the time that CrossFit was, was growing and, and exploding all over the country. And other places were saying things like, if that box opens, you'll be more successful. And it took us, that's nice in theory, but then it took us seeing Collar City open, you know, Jess's box, maybe uh, Beyond open, Joy's box, you know, and, and also, and also I think to some extent realizing the people that are leaving are not your core people, you know, because who was always there? You at the time, Kevin, you know, um, a handful of other coaches that maybe were part-timers, like people that stuck around over the long haul, Murph, James, Pat. Teresa, right? A whole bunch of other people that stuck around no matter who left. And you're like, okay, these are the people I need to take care of. I think something interesting also that can come from that is if you look at it beyond just like the, like you're going to lose clients. Like that's just going to happen as part of life. And whether it was that one person who was on your staff or, you know, in your life, you're going to lose clients. But in the long term, it might be a it might even be better because it's going to tighten up your culture. And I think it also forces you to, I call it, uh, Ian and I call it inflection point, but it's an inflection point in your life where you can take a look and say like, well, what am I, what am I doing right now? What am I actually offering to the world? Because beforehand, if you're, we'll call it the only game in town, you don't have to be as specific about what's the problem that you solve because it kind of solves the most problems for most, the most people. Once there's another offering, now it forces you to be like, Oh, well, what, what is my competitive advantage to this? And really competitive advantage is more like, this is the exact problem I solve. They might solve a completely different like shade of that problem and somebody's just going to like that better. I think it actually forces better communication long-term. And once you realize that, like it could actually be a, you know, an addition by subtraction from the standpoint of like, you're going to learn more about yourself and learn how to develop and deliver more value to the people that stay with you, whether it's in charging more, or you eventually get a more tight culture that promotes that more. And is very, very specific. So, um, isn't that what, like, if we really think about scarcity, doesn't it always come back to that? Like, yes, you know, it's other people are doing things, but ultimately it's a reflection of you and how you handle it. Absolutely. And I think scarcity mindset is also a very short-term mindset, right? And that short-term is very, you know, it's a relative term as well. Three months could be short-term. But if you're, I think what again comes back to when you talk about inflection points, it forces you to look at not only where you're at right now, but where are you going? And I don't know if you ever read um, Simon Sinek's um, Infinite Infinite Game. Game, Yeah, like that's a really good one um, in terms of when you start thinking about like, if I'm just going to keep doing this, not only is this a good thing right now, I'm like getting tighter on my purpose and my message, but also you do need competition to continue to be better, right? They're they're part of this equation. They're part of you improving because they're going to challenge you to stay at, like to keep up with the times or challenge you to stay ahead because otherwise you can get very complacent. You can become very... Um, set in your ways and not necessarily for the best reasons, right? You need to be adaptable. And, um, you know, I also think long-term it becomes a compliment, right? If you're the person that everybody came off of, like, isn't that a cool thing? You're, you're the, you're the, the guru, the person who started it all. Like it, it becomes ultimately like a very high compliment if that, if you want like the self-serving side of it, but. Um, no, I, and I, and I agree. And I mean, I think we're obviously talking very specifically, but you can take this scenario of the gyms and relate it to anything in life. Remember, Speaking of Simon Sinek, remember how fired up we were when that first Start. video, yeah, Start. that came out. Changed my life. Legitimately. We watched, 
I remember going to like three different meetings. I had a crossing meeting, a Reebok meeting. Sasha showed it to us. And it was like, everyone was just blasting that. And it was like, I would then pass it on. You would pass it on. Yeah. You know, really, when people ask me like, what's something they should read or watch? It's, it's still one of the very first things I point out. All three of his books were excellent. I don't know if you ever read Leaders Eat Last, but it speaks to when I was going through a lot of my turmoils after you and I had split, um, it was like asking myself, like, is this, and it comes again to like touching base with like my, the infinite game ideas and things like that. But if this is something you're planning on doing forever, like do the right thing now that's going to play out for the long term, Right. And uh, I don't know what always, for me, that always gave me a lot of solace. Like you're supposed to sacrifice. You're supposed to, because like the other people will, the other people need to, like you're in service of others. You're not in service of yourself. I guess you need to take care of yourself, but if your highest purpose is to help others move forward and grow and do everything else along those lines, um, I think it's really, all three of those books, I'd read them right in a, in a row. I think it's, I think they're phenomenal. I mean, the titles almost kind of give you the punchline, but um, it's always worth reading some of those stories. I don't know if you've ever read the middle one, but it was. I listened, I think I've listened to Leader Z last. You know, I've watched so many of his videos over the years on YouTube that it's like you, you forget if you've read it or listened to it or caught a glimpse of it. But yeah, certainly anything that he's written, I would read again. Absolutely. Um, how did you see yourself like express? Well, and more importantly, what did you not like about how you like ex expressed yourself, communicated, related to people under the duress of said scarcity mindset? I think it was just really obvious that I was stressed out all the time about it. And I think people pick up on it. And the reason they're there is because you bring good energy and you bring joy and fun to their life. And then all of a sudden you're the, you're, added stress in their life. I remember one time specifically when we found out Jess was opening, you, me and Kay, uh, Kevin were down in the first floor. I don't know if you remember this. And one of the girls that was like from Troy, I think we used to call her easy. I forget her name was like Elizabeth. Yeah, something. I remember, uh, I remember the name. yeah. And I knew she lived in Troy cause I believe she went to like RPI or something. And I was like, if a box opens in Troy, are you going to go there? And I remember saying it and Kevin was like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, A, they might not even know about it, but B, like, as a business owner, why? And I was like, okay, like, that helped a little bit, hearing that from Kevin. But it was just like, I was a ball of stress. And again, it was just, it's protecting yourself. I think that's, that's all I was doing. I wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't want someone else to do well. It was I didn't want to do bad. And isn't it ironic, like, those behaviors actually instigate more of what you don't want at the same time because you're probably going to encourage somebody to be like "Ooh, like i'm not like you said i'm not having as much fun i don't enjoy my time as much around you i think i'm gonna go that other direction anyway because i don't feel the same way when i'm around that other person yeah i mean that's really it you know and i think you have to really separate you have to be able to separate what they're doing versus what you want to do it's hard it's hard it's, I mean, you know, and let's, if we tied it all into forgiveness with the scarcity model, I think for, for a, a, many fights, I think, isn't that what a lot of it comes down to? I agree because I think until you go back to understanding, uh, I think both sides at one point feel a sense of scarcity, like, right? cause eventually like, you're like, okay, I'm done. It's no longer worth it. There's no, there's nothing. I'm not getting anything out of this relationship anymore. Not that are what I thought I need in the beginning. I think it's understanding when you've moved into that headspace and then started the behaviors that led to the, you know, the blow up or the, whatever, the, the separation. Um, and I think that's really important because I think no matter what, we're always going to, at some point we're going to move into that. It, it, like we're human, we're human to think to that. We're not going to do that. And I think a lot about it for myself, just with, within the two of us when I look back at what I think some of my greatest flaws as a friend, as a business partner, as an employee was like in the beginning, I didn't really know how to communicate what I wanted. So if I felt like I didn't have X, Y, and Z of voice or wasn't going to be heard or something like that, like it would only push me back into like 
speak less. Now, nowadays, most people can't get me to shut up, um, which my wife can firmly attest to and any podcast I ever get invited to can also attest to. Um. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's the scarcity mindset too. Even, even in a, in an office setting where, you know, you have X amount of colleagues and you're like, okay, they're talking, so I can't talk. And even in that scenario, it's like, you don't need to talk. Like you just need to show up and do a good job. People tend to notice. I agree. Not a hundred percent of the time, but I mean, you know, look at, you know, and, and again, we should move away from the gym at some point, but it's like, look at the people that became coaches there. They weren't necessarily like, look at Murph and James as two great examples or even Kevin when he was going to leave, like our conversations, you and I were always like, we don't want them to go. Like they've made themselves invaluable. And it wasn't like Murph, James, you know, Kevin did of course talk too much, but it wasn't like those guys were like, you know, boisterous and, 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 you know, outgoing, like James is a great example of someone would just show up and make things better, like be helpful. So, you know, you can look at this as like your, your daily job. Like you don't need to get FaceTime with the boss. You don't need to be the, the, you know, the squeaky wheel. You just need to do a really good job and people will take note. Yeah. And I think what's important about, as we look at this, I'm bringing it from the perspective of, No matter, right, everybody knows the, the, the line, it takes two to tango, right? In every fallout, there is always two sides to the story. And, there's, and whether it's some, one person who's like more egregious in a certain moment or not, it's relatively irrelevant because both people... Relatively, would you say relatively irrelevant? Yeah, that was a little redundant. Yeah, it didn't make too much... <laughs> it's, it doesn't... If you're wanting to get to the point where you can forgive, you need to go look back at where you can contribute. And I also think, you know, that's where I was, I was curious about like, where does, what were some of the factors that might lead you to a place where you do experience scarcity and what is it usually surrounding? Like what, what's the topic that it surrounds? What's the, if it is money, if it is something like that, where do you feel like survival where your survival is threatened? I think that's super important because then we can start to become more sensitive, not only with ourselves, right? If you're going to forgive people, you'd still need to come back to a place where you need to give over the tools to this other person in a relationship to more or less take you down, right? Because you're going to, you're going to be very transparent. You're going to show them who you are. You're going to create this, this true authentic relationship again. And if you're not aware of your tendencies and you can't even communicate your tendencies to the other side, because you're not even aware enough of where it starts, you're, you're almost setting up this relationship on a, on a, on a faulty footing, especially if you're wanting to forgive, because at some point you're going to have to get past what happens, right? It's, like I'm angry, I'm upset. Okay, cool. But like we got it, upset, forgiving, we're moving forward. What are the new tactics we can put in place? What are the things that you can be aware of? If I am doing this, I am probably feeling this. And what would I need from my partner or my friend or my whomever to be able to help me navigate through a time, right? When you're feeling this sense of scarcity, almost everything starts to become perceived as a threat, right? Because it's a lot of like lines become blurred. I'm, I'm talking to like three people right now where they're just, they're just like, everybody's taking from me. Everybody's like, wants something, wants something, wants something. And they're all in their own right, wanting something different and not necessarily, they're not necessarily a threat, but because everything's happening all at once and they feel like they're in this one cloud, it feels like everybody is an enemy right now. So they back themselves into this corner. So especially as we're thinking about forgiveness on the highest level with the people that we care the most about, right? The, the, you know, I always, we were talking about, you know, who the five people that are closest to you or five people that are closest to you. You know, these are, I know for me, I look at these people as the ones that are going to keep me on the rails. I'm going to give them the specific stuff, all my bad stuff and my history and all the things. And here's all my tendencies. Here's the tools to like figure Caleb Nelson out in like three words and be able to say like, Hey, by the way, you're acting like an asshole. This is why, but I still love you. Here's the thing. Is everything okay? And also know how to approach me, right? So with my wife, it might be like, she comes and gives me a hug or just starts with like, hey, you know that I want you to win. Like everything's cool. I'm not out to get you. I just want to start here. I'm noticing blank, right? Um, I think that the exploration of why did we even get into this scarcity mindset as a cycle 
is really important, right? So you're talking about family coming up from the depression, you know, not having a lot, then you living through a life cycle of not having a lot coming out of that. Where does that come back and forth? What's the language that's been surrounding you around that? Um, Have people that you've admired or you looked up to, did they ever shift over to a place of more abundance and like true, like, like really looking at the world as like there's enough Um, or have they always been in this scarcity mindset? They never move out of that. Um, I was just mostly going on a rant there about saying, no, no, as you, but some of the stuff you're saying, I think, you know, to add a wrench to this, I think a lot of it comes down to also your ability to be empathetic or is it empathic? I don't know, but empathetic would be more properly the, the proper, proper word. Empathic would be more of like a, I'm with you. <laughs> I, you know, I, so, because, uh, you know, I was trying to kind of think of examples and again, I think our, you know, our common language is often the gyms and whatnot, but I was thinking even when, when I've sold the gyms and I moved on, when I was coaching at North Naples CrossFit and had no ties to the ownership, I'd literally, you know, it was a great community. I was a big part of it, but, you know, other than my two classes a week that I coached, I had no ties. It didn't matter to me if they had a million members or 10, right? And when someone would leave, it would still kind of feel like a knife in the back. Like, and I think, so some of that is ingrained. But I think what, I'm, what I meant by it comes a little bit down to empathy as well as understanding why that person's leaving. You know, immediately you just take it as they're leaving, F them, like they don't know what they've got. Like they're going to go somewhere that's not as good. But then, you, you know, maybe if you got to know them and talk to them a little better, it, was, it would be something simple like it's closer to home, the, the hours are better, my wife likes it here. So it's, you know, we can both go together. It can be, you know, I know – for a handful of people, it might have been, I want a coach and they're giving me an opportunity that I don't have here. So just having that empathy and, and maybe it's just talking to the person, you know, maybe it's not even empathy, but it's just communicating and finding out why you don't feel the scarcity kind of starts to lift because you don't look at it as it's us against them. You look at it more so as, okay, like this is better for them. And if I can support that, then either A, there's a chance they come back in the future, or B, just they continue to go about their way, but I, I haven't burned a bridge. I still have a, a friend out there that, that I can be supporting and that will support me in the future. That, you know, knowing they may be at a gym 20 minutes away, but they might have friends that then, oh, you know, Jay's a great guy at this gym. You should go to his gym because it's closer or, you know, they're better with newer athletes or whatever the reason being. So I think a lot of that, and, and, you know, even going back to the, the group instructors from back then, if I could have taken a moment and been like, okay, I can't remember any of their names, unfortunately. But if I could have just been like, you know, Lisa is really out to get me, it seems like. You know, and, and there was a woman, I don't think her name was Lisa, but she was a terrible human being at the time, at least in my life. She probably wasn't a bad person, but man, it just felt like she hated me. If I'd have been like, okay, Hey, Lisa, why are you acting like this? You know, what is it about me teaching spin classes that's bothering you? We wouldn't have been coming at it from this because it might not have had anything to do with scarcity. She might have just said, you know what? I'm in my 40s now. I'm jealous of this young 20-year-old guy getting all of this attention. She might have said, hey, you took a class that really would have helped me because I have a kid and the nursery's open at that time and it would have been nice to build. You know, so there's all, we, we just take it as it's, me against you when in reality it's could be something you have no idea about you know so it comes down to that whether it's empathy or just communication so really as a tactic then to deploy when you're feeling scarcity you're suggesting that empathy is the path to get there and i would agree because at the end of the day empathy is really finding a way to put yourself in the other person's shoes and more often than not if we start to do that right if you just say i switched places and i could see be like oh i can see how that would feel if, and especially if you, you know, having been gone through now, like once I went on my own entrepreneurial journey, I understood the feeling because I'd been in the shoes. I'm like, Oh, when I was in that situation, I could see why somebody would feel that way. I could see why somebody would do that. Now it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do that. Right. And more often than not, we 
forget that our mentors typically are showing us not necessarily what to do, but also like, here's what you should probably avoid. And we never forget that. Like, that's a reason why you hire like business coaches and all that, because they're like, I went through the shit. Here's the things that I learned. Here's the things you probably shouldn't do if you want to just like save yourself a bunch of time and a bunch of actual money down the line. But uh, I absolutely agree with you. And using, deploying empathy when you are feeling like the walls are closing in, like your resources are drying up and you're specifically turning and feeling your frustrations turning towards all these other people or whoever, or one person specifically, whomever it might be. I think you're right. Like at the end of the day, if you just go ask that person, have a gentle conversation, say, Hey, I'm just looking to clarify some things, get some understanding. Is everything okay? You're far more likely to have a far more favorable outcome. Um, and I think another, another, way I would go about handling it now versus then. And I do this often is, I don't know if you've ever done, it's kind of like the worst case scenario play out. With? Just in general. So say, let's take, let's take Albany, Jess opens. Mm. Okay. What's worst case scenario? Jess opens and Troy, 100% of our members leave. Okay. So we have no members. Worst case scenario, I still have to pay rent to shy. All right. So I have no money coming in. I have to pay, you know, whatever it is to shy. Uh, you know, I, I can't afford my mortgage. Okay. What happens then? You know, well, I had a girlfriend at the time. I lean on her. Well, she loses her job. Okay. What happens then? Maybe we, you know, get a part-time job and we move in with, you know, Caleb and whoever he was dating at the time, you know, cause you would not have no longer have a job either. Right. You know, you know, and it's like, when you start to go down that crazy rabbit hole, you start to realize it's never that bad. Right. I tend to, I do the same exercise. I just jump to the end and say, we I, die. Everybody dies. <laughs> well, I, I usually do it with my wife because if we're in like a stupid argument and I'm just like, where's this going? This is, are we like, are we really going to break up over whatever? Are we going to like get a divorce over something that's stupid? And if you, to just like even the playing field immediately and put everything back into perspective is like, I did this once actually right outside the gym. We were, it was late at night. We were in an argument or something. We're in the car and she was just like pissed at me for something. And I was like, let me just do this exercise. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm like on a hospital bed and I'm dying. And she, you just like watched her entire mood shift. And after, as soon as it was done, she was like, I was like, now what do you want to do? And she's like, I just want to kiss. And I'm like, okay, cool. And like, it evens the playing field, but it works. Actually. I think it definitely just like resets things. Like, is the thing that you're dealing with right now that bad? Is it really what are the odds of all those terrible, terrible things happening right now? But it puts you back into like perspective, like where you're at in life. That's why we talked about, that's why I brought it up beforehand. Like there's plenty of people on this planet who legitimately don't know where their next meal is coming from. And once you remember that if you do have that, that might be something you're even just taking for granted right now and you're okay. And you might not need as much of the shiny things that you think are what's going to make you happy. And you have more than enough. You just might need to do something a little bit different to get through this situation. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, and for example, I'm almost 100% certain if you're listening to this show, you're not worried about where your next meal is coming from. Right. right. You have, you have an iPhone, you've, you know, you're doing something that's allowing you to listen to, to us talk about this. And, you know, so many, I was so bad about this for probably 15 years where like every little detail, I'll give you an example. Like, Yesterday, I'm out in the garage working out. Roz is making me chicken wings, which is, first of all, like, okay, my wife, who's, you know, pregnant, is making me dinner, chicken wings, which I have no idea how to make. Like, she does that. And she dropped the bowl, and it, like, chipped the granite in our new house. And 15 years ago, I would have lost my shit. And now I'm just like, yes. hey, you know that, right? You're like, okay, so it's granite. Like, who cares? Like, and that's what I said to her. I was like, nothing, there's nothing in this world that matters more than you being healthy with the baby right now. And then like literally an hour later, she dropped something else and chipped one of the cabinets. I'm like, I was like, and I think she was almost taken aback by the fact that I didn't care. Cause you know, this is something I really work hard and it's partly that stoic mindset. And it's also part empathy, right? Like I'm like, she certainly didn't do it on purpose. Cause she's just as upset. She's more upset than I am. She says she didn't do it on purpose. She did it while preparing me dinner. And I'm like, now I look at this chip and I'm like, wow, this reminds me that I have a wife that cares enough about me to make me chicken wings. Like I'd rather have that chip with a caring wife than a perfect tabletop. And I know that's maybe 
a little off topic for what we're talking about, but it really just goes back to mindset and realizing like, you know, it's, it's rarely as bad as you think it is. And, you know, nothing is that important. You know, if you're listening to this, hopefully you're healthy right now. You know, hopefully you have a, someone else in this world that cares about you. And it's like the, your, your wood cabinet doesn't matter. It's true. That brings a, there's an exercise I do with a lot of um, like, especially like weight loss clients, especially women. I brought those one of the interesting things you brought to mind. Um, I think on the flip side, what you started to do is you looked at those flaws as almost like new mementos. Right. And I think that was a, a few, there's one woman that comes to mind, but there's a couple clients where they like really like hated their C-section scars. And, you know, as you're, going through a weight loss journey. And I'm like, why do you hate your C-section scar? Why is it just like, ah, oh, it looks ugly. It's gross. And I'm like, but that's also where the, your child came from and like, you love your child, right? So without that scar, you wouldn't have your child. So which would you choose? And it starts to just make you look at some of these flaws with a, a, a new lens, right? And you can start to actually embrace the fact that that happened, right? Again, I don't even... Yeah, what hindsight would you when you're going through you're like i wish we never had a fallout i never wish we never you know i got in a big fight and shit blew up and blah 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 and went down the journey you went but i look at now all the experiences that i got to go through afterwards as new like it's a new appreciation not only for you know what our friendship has become uh it's a new appreciation for what you know i had a chance to learn. I have a new outlook on life. I have new confidence in my own abilities. I had to figure out some new things for myself. Um, you start to realize like these, these moments of scarcity are actually probably teaching you a lot more or perceived scarcity are actually teaching you a lot more than uh, what in the moment might feel like things are being taken away from you. Um, and all yeah, of this. I mean, no, no, go ahead. You finish your statement. You're good. No, I was going to say, even from my perspective, I mean, yeah, you wish like, okay, you know, we spent a few years, we didn't chat, but for one, I don't think we'd be at this place, period. Right. right? Like, period. Like, there was, there was nothing about our relationship that, that led either of us to believe I would become, you know, a little more chill and you would become maybe a little more mature. You know, but then secondly, you know, I go back and I'm like, okay, if, if you and I, you know, didn't have our fallout, would I even have left Albany? Like, who knows? Like, Maybe it never would have gotten to the point that I would sell Albany, or maybe I did and we put all of our effort into Clifton Park, or maybe, you know, you and I moved somewhere off we had a romance, you know, <laughs> who knows, you know, <laughs> but, but the point is like, we were talking about it beforehand where it's like the secret, if, you know, and whether or not you've read the secret or believe in it, you know, we were kind of half joking, but half believing in it and it's like if you look for the positive you'll find the positive like you know like i said even with like a chip in the counter it goes back to what you mentioned in the last episode problem or inconvenience right is this a problem no cool this is my opportunity like i'm trying to be more manly around the house what did i do i came in i googled how to fix this now i'm going to learn something new i'm going to learn a new skill set because of this chip i also showed my wife that this is not nearly as important as her being healthy right now you know, and I'm also like, we're going to have a fucking toddler at some point destroying this house, like literally drawing on the walls, banging it up, you know, jump. I know what I did in my house as a kid, like, you know, and that was only one of me. If we have more, there's going to, you know, it's going to be even crazier. So I'm like, you don't want to have, if you have a perfect house, you probably didn't live. And it's, you know, same, same for all of this. If you have a perfect life, you probably didn't live much, probably lived in a bubble. You should have fights. You should, you know have fallouts, but it's how you then handle them in the future and how long they last. I'm writing that down. I like that quote. Is that a good quote? Chop it up for our social media. <laughs> if you have a perfect life, you probably haven't lived. Um, I, it's good. What's, if, if, if every episode we'd say one important thing or one impressive thing or one smart thing, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with it. If it takes us an hour to say something, I'm okay with that. We'll just start quoting random people and then try to make some like mashup of all of them. Like, 
this is good enough. It's good enough. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And and I think I heard that. I mean, I remember hearing something similar, whether it was about, you know, who's always great about that? Kevin Houston, our friend. He'd buy a new car and the second day he'd take it off roading. I remember that when he bought that, what was that? You know, that FJ. FJ, yeah. And I'm like, you just took your brand new car off. It's like, he's like, I want to enjoy it. And I'm like, and that that's resonated with me over the years. You know, I got a new mountain bike and within 20 minutes on the trail, you know, I fell and I'm like, this is what it's for. Like if you have a beautiful, no chips in your paint mountain bike, you're probably not mountain biking. You're, uh, you're riding on the steady roads. Yeah. It's like, what's the expression of like, there's a, there's a good quote out there about scars, you know, and it's not chicks dig scars. There's that one, but it's like, you know, these, <laughs> there's, you know, it's like, if, if you don't have any scars, you've not done anything challenging. It's true. Uh, you obviously learn a lot more about yourself within that. Um, man, scarcity. To energy. I like it a lot. Well, I, I mean, and, and that's the goal of the show, right? The theme, like we've talked about, like we're doing season one. The whole point is really that overarching theme of forgiveness. But without all of these little things, you can't forgive. And I think ultimately what we're also realizing is in order to forgive, you have to work on yourself. That's really what you said earlier. Absolutely. And that's where that, yeah, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I have done plenty of it. I've spent a ton of money on coaching, life coaching, therapy, and the like. Because at the end of the day, the more you understand yourself, it's not about knowing everything else in the world, but it's about understanding yourself and what your tendencies are. And you can start to like really in the moment when, you know, shit's hitting the fan or you're seeing everybody else like having their moments, you can put yourself in their shoes. You can deploy as much empathy as possible doesn't mean you're not going to have sometimes have to have hard conversations. Like that's part of the, part of the thing. Um, but at least you're going to hedge your head your bets in your favor in terms of how your, how the outcome is going to come out. Right. And uh, especially if you're wanting to forgive and you're going to want to move forward in a relationship and continue to engage in that relationship, it's worth exploring. Like, where did you get, no matter what, it's always worth exploring. Where did, where could you have been better? You know, it's not about like, again, somebody like you, you are going to know why you're pissed at somebody else. Like that's the easy thing, right? There's the thing that gets you fired up, but what's the deeper meaning behind that? Well, okay. So this first thing happened and then like, what's the other things that happened after that? Look at those things. What were they a symbol of? And, you know, usually the first thing is, was a buildup of a bunch of other behaviors beforehand. And somebody had to not had to drop the ball at some point, right? It was not just one person. And you also have to look back, like why, where, where is that person coming from? If somebody who's had like an abusive upbringing and abusive relationships and a bunch of other things, like you're going to start to understand, okay, I get the, this is why they're at this way. But I also mean, means I need to either adapt the way I'm going to engage in this behavior or in this relationship, or I need to not engage in those types of relationships at all because they're not, they're not willing to change. Right. Um, but that's of course a new conversation, right? If you and I kind of talk for, three conversations and we realize, all right, this is the end of it. We've kind of moved on and, but one or the both parties didn't want to nurture growth, which inevitably means both of us want to change. Not just like, Hey, I want to change. I'm going to keep just going. Like here, yeah, I'm going to just drag you along because I think you're supposed to have to with me. Like that's not, that's not a real relationship anyway, but like to forgive is to say like, okay, I am, we are both going to agree of our own volition. I'm going to grow my way and I'm going to grow my way. This is, and we want to keep communicating about how we're growing. I think that's really important. But if you don't even know where your flaws came from to begin with, like, what are you growing from? What are you growing and what are you growing towards? Like you're, you have, you don't even have a starting point to, to, to come from. So, um, well, and I don't want to take the show off topic and I know we're slowly wrapping up, but I think part of this all also comes back to people realizing a lot of what they do and a lot of their you know beliefs and mindset is the stories that they tell themselves and your story can change. And it should change. If you always just, and I'll give you a very, because Raj calls me out on this all the time. Like you tell yourself this story, like you're this person. Um, but a, a story that's like in my mind right now, because after we get off this, I'm going to go do it is we bought a barbecue and it, what we expected to come assembled came in, you know, like a box and like 10 pieces say. And typically, you, you knowing me, 
I'd be like, all right, who can I get to put this together? <laughs> yeah. And I realized now it actually funny enough, just came to me when I was like maybe 10 or 12, everyone in my neighborhood had these remote control cars, you know, like an RC car in the remote and they were fast. And my stepfather took me to the shop and he bought me it was called the Hornet. And it was like the, one of the fastest ones, but they were like, do you want it built or do you want to put it together yourself? He's like, we'll put it together ourselves. That box still exists somewhere, not put together. Like there's a Hornet out there ready to be put together, probably in the garbage by now. But something that I wanted that badly, like I just didn't, it was always my mindset. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I can't do it. I'm not skilled to do this. Where now I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to put this thing together. You know, partly because there's COVID, so I don't want someone coming over to do it. And partly because it's probably not that hard. It's just this story that I tell myself. You know, and whether it's about scarcity, whether it's about empathy, whether it's about forgiveness, I think people think like, I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm 40, this is me. No, you can change any, any moment right now, you can change. You know, if you're like, I'm not forgiving this person because of X, Y, or Z, change the story. Like, I'm going to go out there and I'll text you a picture of it when I'm done, but that barbecue is getting put together today. Like, that's going to happen. I'm pretty amped to see this picture. Mostly because I've, I've <laughs> your construction abilities, the times that we were building out like the, the double wide. <laughs> we I think you sw swung the hammer maybe once, <laughs> maybe, maybe one brush. Of <laughs> I'm a foreman. I'm a foreman, not a, uh, I mean, or the accounts, accounts manager, but, but it's the same thing. And it's, you know, 10, 12 years, I don't think we would have been like, yeah, we can do this podcast. Like, and obviously it takes growth and maturity, but it also just takes saying, okay, I'm changing the story. Like I'm not the person that shows up late every day. I'm not the person that eats poorly. I'm not the person that, you know, can't put things together. And all it's going to take is one, like I've done enough already recently to know that this is going to happen. Some little baby steps, and then all of a sudden you got a barbecue. <laughs> There's your quote. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's absolutely great. Wrote down your little RC car story. I like it. That's true. You know, and it's funny because I've really been thinking a lot lately, you know, mostly on edibles at night, you know, <laughs> in Colorado. I'm just like, you know, and, and honestly, thinking about the chip in the, um, in the granite. When I was a kid, it's funny how you remember these random stories, right? My, um, my mom left a note on the front door, taped it to the front door and we peeled it off and it took like a nice strip of the finish off the front door. And this was like within a week of living at this house. And that strip lived there as long as I lived there, I'm sure it stayed until they sold their house. And I never cared about it, right? It was like, okay, this is what's part of living here. You know, so somewhere along the way, I was like, man, where did I develop this? Everything needs to be perfect because it wasn't perfect as a kid. You know, you, you, I must have created that whether it was in college or after college or whatnot, but you realize, you know, all of this stuff stems from somewhere deep, deep rooted, you know, and you have to kind of figure out where it comes from. So if it's, ayahuasca or some THC to help you kind of figure that out. Like it just, these weird things pop into your, you know, they're, they're embedded deep down in your memory. It's worth exploring. Like I said, I'm a big proponent of that stuff. So both ayahuasca and THC and therapy, more, more reflection in general, right? Meditation and all those other practices. And we'll definitely get into some of those ideas. Um, and especially as you talk about perfection, I think that's going to be something many people, especially many people that are listening to this, who probably struggle with that idea of like, I'm, it's all or nothing. And, you know, if I'm not perfect, I'm just a piece of garbage, right? And I think we can talk a lot about systems and upbringing and things that come into that. Um, anything you have to add before uh, or any questions you want to cover before we uh, start moving towards the end of this and some actionable steps? No, no, I, I'm, I'm good. I think, I think we really... You know, I'm afraid we get a little bit off topic here and there, but I think it all stems from that scarcity mindset. I'm good. Let's hear what you have in store for the listeners. So a couple fold here. Um, first, I want to start with just first our actionable steps uh, for this episode. First, I want some time for reflection and just think about what triggers your scarcity mindset. 
when are you feeling that, right? So if you're feeling scarcity, it's like, I don't have enough. The world walls are closing in. Um, and I feel like this person is taking everything from me, right? And however that is, right? And, and you can also express what those like, visceral feelings are that go along with that. But what brings that on, right? Is there, is it words? Is it a certain behavior? Is, it, is there a general theme, right? Because if you can see it in one person, can you find it in others? And then I would also then secondarily say like, when did that start? And start thinking back into your past. When did you first start feeling like that scarcity? And is this something that you've been consistently doing over your, your life cycle, right? Um, and to close that out, start to reflect on if you have had a big fallout with somebody, right? Because one, we obviously want to know like, when do you genuinely feel it? When did it start? But then also let's start thinking about a specific moment where you had a fallout, right? Because we're talking about forgiveness. Think about your biggest fallout you've had and I bet you dollars to donuts, you feel justified that you were the one who was right and they are wrong. But take a little ride down that little, you know, gauntlet and think, where was it your fault, right? Where could you say I was wrong? Where did that scarcity mindset first initiate? Did, was it early on you didn't communicate? Um, was it towards the end? Were you the last one to feel that way? Were you the one who blew the thing up? And take a really long, honest look at that. Uh, because especially if you had, you know, if you, from our previous episode, if you didn't reach out to that person that you had a fallout with, these might be some steps that you can start to look at like, Oh, maybe I did play a bigger role in that. And maybe I might be sabotaging other relationships that I have right now, or not getting the most out of the relationships I have right now, because of this practice, no matter what, you're going to start to become very aware of how like you're pissing off your partner, you're pissing off your friends, you're going to figure out some things no matter what. Um, but especially if you're going to look towards extending the olive branch, maybe mending some fences with the people that you've torched relationships with, being actually able to understand why you got there in the first place and be able to communicate that to somebody else uh, can definitely make it a lot easier for that other person to understand and definitely that will increase your odds of having them having a favorable response towards you because it will come from a place of like, I don't blame you for all of my problems because nobody wants to just be blamed. Like that doesn't feel good. Um, so to recap, uh, restate those things I said, like first and foremost, what triggers your scarcity mindset and make that as like kind of like a general theme. If you can figure that out. Um, when did that start? When did you first start noticing? What do you think like brought that up? Was it in your childhood? Was it way back when? Like where did you first start noticing that that's how you react to things? And then in the relationship that you have, that has fallen apart and perhaps there's many, but in the relationship that's most prevalent in your mind that you potentially want to do any forgiving, um, where did you, what was your role in that? Where did your scarcity mindset come in and uh, how did that play out for you? So those three things to hopefully give you um, maybe some bullet points if you're looking to reach out and, and uh, patch things up. I uh, love it. I mean, basically we, mostly me, but we walked through those steps today. Yeah. It's almost like I thought about that. <laughs> That's weird. It's like, why do I always feel good after this show? Is this therapy? Maybe, maybe <laughs> thinking all along. you're allowed to flip it on me if you want at any point, by the way, why doesn't my therapist wear a shirt? <sighs> because you, <laughs> you listen, you like Sunday night, naked Sunday, just as much. So, you know, you knew it was coming with that. Next thing is robes. Why am I wearing a robe to my therapy? <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, yeah, we gotta get robes. Naked Sunday robes. That'll be the next. Um, that might be the next uh, line of apparel we put out there. First T-shirts, then robes. I think I those. Could, are good. I could see it. I could see it. I need a new one anyway. I've never you have a, life. So. Well, I think it's like once you become a father, you have to have a robe so you can embarrass your kids. Because <laughs> I remember, like, one of my earliest memories is. My father used to just wear a robe at the end, at night or in the morning, but he would just have on like his tidy whiteies, and like I didn't care, and I don't think my sister's cared. But once in a while, he'd have a friend over, <laughs> and I'd be like, "Yeah, that's my dad." We get some slippers to go with it, the matching slippers. They get the whole set. A pipe, a little and, pipe. <laughs> yeah, maybe there we go to really complete the ensemble. I like it. All yeah. right, well that was great as always. You want to take us out? Uh, yeah. So go hit your homework. If you haven't reached out to your human that you've wanted to patch things up with, 
now's there's no time like the present, right? Because we just talked about, you know, if you imagine that person dying and you never got the chance, promise you, you would re regret it more than you would uh, the the you know the fear of being rejected from it. So there's that. Complete your homework for this week, right? Check out your triggers. Look into your scarcity mindset, and uh, and do the deep dive. Give yourself some time. It's it's worth it. And if you're really stuck. Just have some friends that actually give a damn about you, interrogate you for a little while, and eventually you'll have your own therapy session just like that. So it's all good. But uh, another great episode. Love hanging with you, bro. Um, if anybody needs anything, of course, give uh, – if you haven't – obviously, I'm assuming you've followed our, the podcast at this point. But if you know anybody who's looking for some thought-provoking discussion, watching a couple dudes talk about their feelings – share uh share naked sunday podcast it's on instagram we'd love to get more followers we just want to we just want to put a little more good out in the world and uh make some relationships better uh including our own uh so make sure we you give that a share give it a like whatever all those things are on the social medias um one of the stories i tell myself is i'm not good at social media or technology maybe one day i'll decide to break that belief um but until that point i got i got somebody else who's much better at it than i am so <laughs> on that note uh, until next week, next Sunday, uh, Caleb, Jay, much love.